Could you hear that? I don't think so. Okay. How obnoxious. Look, I tell my wife, hey, if this is <laughs> podcast time is sacred. Keep the dogs indoors. <laughs> uh there there's some faint dog activity in the background, but uh, it's not it's not particularly egregious. We'll just tell people a truck drove by. <laughs> Welcome to the Successful Users Podcast, featuring Samuel Hewlett and Robert Graham. Because you can also hear like that they're they're like whistling on top of the cheering. They're just going crazy. I, I love our stadium; it's spectacular. Yep. Uh, and this this is Successful Users. I'm Robert. Oh, this is Samuel. I didn't know we were starting. This is exciting. In media's yeah, race. We're jumping in like crazy. Yep. Just right off the cliff. There you go. So, uh, how's it going, Robert? It's going all right. How are you? Doing okay. Can't complain. Gonna see, gonna we're gonna hear. see, a lot of times people say that building a startup is like jumping off of a cliff and building a plane on your way down, and uh, I think that's gonna be kind of an apt comparison for uh, this episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, we. Uh, I, I think we both really like the subject. We're just not really sure how well it's going to translate into an episode. Yeah, so we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully, our amateurish love of the topic will carry through. Right. Yeah. Well, so it turns out that your uh, your general poo pooing of the show has resulted in in zero additional reviews this week. Uh, I'm, so... I'm big on the show. I just don't like slumming for for re- <laughs> reviews. Okay. So you're poo-pooing for people that, you know, like and enjoy the show to actually review it. That has resulted in zero reviews. I'm just saying, uh, I, 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 I want them to do it because they want to, not because I'm, I'm uh, panhandling. That's, that's fair. Uh, but that aside, we, we did get a question from uh, a faithful listener. Ooh, do tell. Uh, well, Henrik... Uh, Ridberg? Ridberg? Do you have an opinion? I would think Ridberg. That maybe that's, that's one thing. If it's not asking too much, if you well, let's let's just say maybe there will be a standing rule. If it's really important to you that your name gets pronounced correctly, maybe just kind of throw in the phonetic version of it, just so we can. Because I want to be respectful. I want to hit it right. And if not, we'll take our best guess, and and hopefully that's okay. Yeah, we're we're trying. Okay, I agree. I think I think Rydberg is the most likely, uh, so we're probably wrong. <laughs> so he he asks about uh, so in our previous episode where we had tips about uh, retention, and this is from the mailbag, right? This is a mailbag. Yeah. Uh, Empty yeah, so you no can also more. Hit us up on Twitter. What's that? Empty no more. That's right. Uh, so yeah, feel free to hit us up, uh, successful users. At SuccessfulUsers.com. Ooh, that's uh, a good or one. That's a, that's at a... SuccessfulUsers on Twitter. Yep. You uh, know, it makes me think, maybe we should just make the podcast super confusing or just have, like, really contradictory points. So people are like, uh, what was that you were talking about? <laughs> this is super confusing. Yeah. Did he just ram a hose into a bucket? Why? I don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> that that reference will make more sense in a second, I think. <laughs> Or if, or I don't know, maybe maybe the faithful have uh, have had a chuckle already. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So his question is about 
we, we spoke a little about negative churn. You, you spoke, I suppose, about it uh, as a concept. And he wanted us to sort of compare and contrast that with what, what is growth compared with negative churn. Right. That was my philosophical tip from the uh, retention. Uh, what, yeah. It was the retention episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I would, I would uh, dif- differentiate between the two is I think that there are basically two kinds of growth. There is uh, like headcount growth, user growth, where you're just saying there are this many active users or this many signups or whatever, and you're tracking right. new, what new revenue, new revenue, customer acquisition. Well, yeah, you're kind of jumping on my line here, but I'm saying oh, that you can measure you can measure growth in the amount of new accounts that you have, or you can measure growth in terms of MRR, which is monthly recurring revenue, or probably other yeah. ways. But those are the two biggies that I'm aware of. And so when you're talking about what's the difference between negative churn and growth, I would say that you typically want to be growing both in, in the user count and in the MRR sense so that your, your user count is growing and the amount of money you're making regardless of your user count is growing. And so negative churn specifically would say of the people that you have to work with, you're going to be losing, there will be churn, uh, well, I guess negative churn is a good thing positive churn, but that makes it sound like it's a good thing too. But just regular churn is when you lose either accounts or monthly recurring revenue. Negative churn doesn't affect the the head count, the user count churn, but it can affect the uh, MRR. So basically, if you're working with the same amount of people, you're going to be losing some, which will be taking their portion of the of your MRR with them. But of the others that you have remaining, can you upsell them or cross-sell them to other things to the point where the existing user base is uh, spending more money on your services that goes beyond compensating for the people who are leaving, taking away the money that they were spending. So the topic this week, top 10, I guess it's not do or don'ts this time. It's just our top 10 favorite cognitive biases. Yep. And so, uh, do you have a do you have a, a ready description for cognitive biases? Should we should we just start it off with a with a a one liner? Oh, a definition. I don't I don't have a one liner on me. Do you have a good one? Uh, my my going one is like ways that our brain operates that that ways that like we trick ourselves or or uh, ways that we tend to behave that is not necessarily. The most uh, rational or or uh, efficient, I guess. Right. So grouping yeah. those all into cognitive biases. How do we think? And what's when does sometimes a, a wrench get thrown in the works, and we do something we don't we wouldn't think we would do? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like uh, it's sort of a a reasoning anti pattern. Hmm. Well put. Although I have to say, and not to sidetrack this conversation again, but uh, anti-pattern, I I got I got beef with that term. <laughs> okay, I got serious beef with it. Um, what? Why? Why do you have beef with it? Because, in, in, to my mind, an anti-pattern should be the opposite of a pattern, not a bad pattern. Oh. Like, so I guess if a pattern is where you're recognizing relationships between disparate uh, entities, right. so then to me, an anti-pattern would be that, that I guess there would just the, the lack of that. 
not that the that the relationships combine into something you don't like. Right. Like, why not just call it a bad pattern? Um, I don't know. I think that just didn't catch on because it's not as fun to say. I guess so. I think I think uh, the the subtitle for this show it, so that the 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 title is ten our ten favorite cognitive biases subtitled lots left on the cutting room floor yeah subtitled apparently they were afraid of actually talking about the subject and so they didn't all right so let's get it out there uh, the the one thing the the one other thing that I want to uh, lend a caveat before we get started is that. A lot of the the, the biases I wanted to talk about, because a lot of what we talk about on the show is uh, how you can design things to resonate with people better, or to you know create that successful harmony between you and your and your and your users, or things like that. Um, in this case, I felt like half of them were how to overcome your own biases as a designer, and then the other half that I wanted to talk about were how you can for lack of a better term, ex- exploit that or use it to your advantage when designing something for the your users' biases. Did you did you have a, a, a leaning on that one way or the other, or were you similarly torn? Uh, yeah, mine come from some different camps, I think. So some of them are, are overcoming your own biases and, and how you design things. Uh, some of them are... Uh, like a little more like user based, and then I, I have a couple that I just think are uh, interesting broadly. Just interesting in general, just just a little something to put in your pipe and smoke. Yeah. yeah. So it, you know, if we get to those, then we'll un- we'll go above ten. But I threw them in because one in particular I am excited about. Ooh. So you're hoping you're hoping there's some overlap here. It's well, yeah. Or that I'm, you know, just going to not get cut off at the end and be able to mention it. <laughs> well, well, friend, time will tell. <laughs> so it will, Samuel, so it will. <laughs> All right, so as, as we've established as a successful user's pattern, the floor is yours. Tip number, I guess, right. should we call it tip number? Let's still call it tip number one. Okay, I'm good with that. Okay, uh, or bias number one, or I guess I guess we don't have we don't have a sound effect for bias. We don't have the one, we don't have problem. the dragon saying bias number one. Oh, speaking yeah. of which, <laughs> there's uh, Fiverr.com. There's a guy who says I will I will something like like literally I will record myself talking like a dragon for five dollars yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> That's 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 my that's my weird tip of the week is is track that guy down consummate professional you wouldn't it's, you wouldn't think the yeah. you wouldn't think the dragon talking guy on Fiverr would be like the most prompt and professional studio artist but it just blew me away we've used him twice we're ten bucks in and I couldn't be happier customers yeah it's pretty excellent I wish he did more voices honestly more than the dragon yeah look you got to stay in your lane. Can't, uh, can't, can't doing... spread yourself too thin these days. Yes, especially for $5. Yeah, he's, uh, got, he's got that dragon niche just under his thumb. Locked down. Yeah. All right, so number one. Tip number one. Uh, this is kind of a soft opening because we covered this in the last one. But my first one, because I, I think it's my favorite, is uh, The Curse of Knowledge. So. Oh, the. Uh... Yeah. The Mary had a little lamb pencil one. Yeah, so 
uh, as, as Samuel has alluded to, uh, the the way you can the, the best illustration I have for this is uh, tapping out a tune. So if you if you sit across from the table, someone you know, uh, pick like a childhood nursery rhyme kind of tune, like Mary had a little lamb or something similar. Twinkle twinkle little star. Anything works. Uh, and tap tap the tune out and see if the other person can guess uh, what you're trying to to play for them on the table. Um, and like 80% of the time, uh, they won't be able to do it, especially if it's a more complex tune. Uh, drops off really, really harshly. Uh, and the reason is, when you're tapping it out, you actually hear the music in your head, and it's there's a lot more context available to you than there is to them. So it's it's easy for you to see the answer, and it's really hard for someone else. So right. I think another good example of this is like if you're writing some kind of documentation or how-to. Um, if it's something that you're an expert at, a professional, like been doing this for years, it's really hard to write something for someone who hasn't done it at all because you just don't have that perspective. You don't know what's important to them. You don't know where they're going to trip up. Yeah, you, you don't have beginner's mind. Right. I think that's a Zen thing. A zen, why would it be a Zen thing? Uh, I think it's like part of uh, part of like the, the the Zen thing. Oh, Shoshin is a concept in Zen Buddhism meaning beginner's mind. It refers to having an attitude of openness, eagerness, and lack of preconceptions when studying a subject, even when studying at an advanced level, just as a beginner in that subject would. Oh, okay, that seems related. I don't know if it's directly the same, but yeah, that's my that's point. Good. Being, it's it's tough to it, once you have expert mind, it's hard to to re, yeah, remain to in beginner back. mind. It's it's very tough. Well, uh, if, oh, did you have more? No, no, go ahead. Oh well, I would just say uh, you're certainly speaking to my my interests here because user onboarding real tough, real tough to for you're living and breathing your product every day. You know all the ins and outs. You know the space that it serves and the the uh, the workarounds in your interface and all the different things. It's really hard to forget that uh, for, forget that stuff to be able to improve on the experience of somebody who doesn't know that stuff. Yep. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons we advocate frequently for you know all the different types of ways to you know touch your customers that we discuss, like surveys and interviews and user testing, all this stuff. Yeah. Let you get a glimpse into that world. I think there's also something to be said about just getting housed and trying to use your own website. Yeah, you should definitely do that. But then, in the case of you know developers and product managers and stuff, you're you, they're going to have a lot of expert knowledge in those domains too. So it's not quite the same. Wait, so you you just you just super casually signed off on my recommendation? That was are you uh, by housed? I meant like plastered oh wow yeah i didn't i didn't realize we were you know just latching on to any past tense verb as as uh getting wasted yeah housed well what did you think i meant by housed or did that did that part not come through well i guess so housed the connotation for me is actually uh taking it to the house or scoring a touchdown uh, and oh. if, if a team got housed, then it would mean that they got like blown out. So you're so. saying like just vigorously using your website? That's how you interpreted it? 
I interpreted it as like, you know, losing at using your own product. Interesting. Oh, so just intentionally flaming out, just putting it to the stress test. Well, I think not intentionally, like actually trying to use it and then flaming out because it doesn't live up to it. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's, I, I meant more like there's a great video called the user is drunk. Have you heard of it or seen it? <laughs> I haven't, but I, I'm already excited to go look and watch. Well, I'm, 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 I'm being very serious here. I was joking about getting, like, I'm not advocating you get blackout drunk and try to use your site, but <laughs> as far as like, because they, they make a very good point where you, the person who's using your site has very limited limited attention to to dedicate to it because they're thinking about their their right. day at work and, and there's somebody who's who's bugging them in the chat pop up and all these different things and so in the same way that someone who is could be very intelligent but is drunk is is has little you know uh, little attention to give to something doesn't mean they're not smart or whatever so it's not like you're designing for dumb people you're just designing for uh, low levels of attention, smart people, right. as if you were designing for drunks. Yeah, the video yeah, is actually... great. I, I I'm going to come out and say right now that that one's a, a, a show notes must include. So we'll we'll definitely have that in there. Excellent. Anyway, I've uh, derailed this okay. whole thing yet again. We should we should go into number two. I think. Okay, tip number two. Tip number two. So, from a user onboarding perspective, one of my favorites is something called the endowed progress effect. And this is something that I wrote about in my book. Um, but basically, if you're looking for people to complete multi-step tasks, um, then you, what you can do is try to make it appear that they're closer to finishing uh, or to completing those tasks than they really are. Or... I mean, not like you're lying to them or falsifying anything, but just representing there being more progress than than choosing to represent less progress. Let me give an example. So there was this study done where there was a car wash that had one of those loyalty punch card things. Have you heard of this, Robert? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they had one punch card. They, they ran, I guess, what you would basically call a real-life A-B test. They, they had one punch card that had eight... Eight holes to punch. Well, they weren't holes yet. They were eight circles to punch. And then there was another punch card that had ten circles to punch, but came with two pre-punched circles. So both of the punch cards needed eight circles to be punched to be completed to get your free car wash. But one was essentially starting people at 0%, and the other one was starting people at 20%. As far as being that far, you know, that your progress, it was endowed with 20% progress, so to speak. And lo and behold, they, they ran it out there and the people who um, got the, the two, two out of 10, the 20% punch cards were twice as likely to actually wind up making it through the whole punch card and coming back and getting that free car wash, even though they both had the same distance to travel, so to speak. So, right. How would you apply this to your website? Well, maybe you have a a task list or something like that. Perhaps something like LinkedIn's uh, progress meter that says like you're 60% of the way set up or things like that. Uh, Maybe you have a list of things that you want people to do and it checks it off as they go, Uh, especially like from an onboarding perspective. Just give them them a couple bonus check-offs or start them off at 40%. People don't know what, what goes into that ratio. 
Or if it's a list of five things, let's say it's a list of three things, make it a list of five things with two things they've already done. So there, there you go. They're already 40% of the way through. Nice. Tip uh, number. Wow, we're up to three already? Tip number three. Speaking of progress. <laughs> The show really picked up steam once we started actually doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, so my next one is called the availability heuristic. Ooh, yeah. This is basically just saying that whenever you're trying to evaluate something, you have a, a, a big tendency to latch on to just the immediate stuff that comes to mind. Um, and whatever comes to mind, you overrate the importance of those things just because it was able to be recalled. You attach importance to it, uh, but it doesn't necessarily have any real importance. Uh, and I think this can come up a lot uh, in several different contexts. I mean, you can have discussions about you know interfaces and and experiences. Uh, and your, you know, first impression about some user that you saw use a system comes to mind, and it's easy to just kind of like latch on to to some of those specifics. So I think it's important uh, where you can to have, you know, maybe statistics or quantitative metrics alongside the qualitative, and to just kind of guard yourself against this one. Yeah, so you safeguard with 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 cold hard facts. <laughs> Yes. Coors Light is not sponsoring this episode, however. Oh, right. Yeah, different. This is more like a Real Men of Genius podcast. <laughs> Maybe Jack Handy, even. Oh, did he have anything to do with Coors Light? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> that would be great. I hope it should it should happen, though. It's like how, there, how there's like the... Uh, like the uh, <laughs> how there's the, uh, the uh, uh, 50 Cent... Signature vitamin water, right? Like if there was like a Jack Handy signature Coors Light. Well, I mean, Fifty Cent actually made a lot of money off of vitamin water. He's kind of like he's like the Beats by Dre of uh, uh, juice. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Beats by Dre actually like connects back to what Dre does, right? Like vitamin water is just I don't know. Like, he's was just he mad into nutrition. Before? I guess so. And if he's really mad into nutrition, then why did he make sugar water? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good. That's a good point. Maybe he's <laughs> so, shot that idea down. I don't know. <laughs> okay, touche, <laughs> my good man. <laughs> I think this brings us all the way to tip number four. Tip number four. So, tip number four. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, one that. Maybe it's a little I don't know we'll see, but it's uh it's it's a little phenomenon called and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, pario uh, paridolia I believe is how parodolia maybe par no paridolia I think is how it's pronounced, uh p a r e i d o l i a and it's the phenomenon in which people tend to re- uh, see faces in objects. Like, uh, you know, if you draw a circle with two circles and a line inside it, it looks like a face, even though it has nothing to do with that. Or you'll see, you know, uh, Elvis in your uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, things along those lines. 
uh, it's interesting to me that like your people tend to be like hardwired into picking up once again on on the topic of picking up on patterns that they use that as like a, a snap uh, recognition of something else. And so, uh, a lot of times when you're looking at creating a design that is highly intuitive, like one goal that I have with, with creating, um, interfaces is to get people to do things without even consciously realizing they're doing it. Like you're designing on such a level that people are just, you know, almost on not autopilot in like, in the sense that they're just like zombies, but they're, uh, it's so effortless that they're not even having to consciously operate something. And so uh, looking at this phenomenon, it's something that like using faces when you can, especially because people tend to have like a really emotional connection to what they perceive as it being other people. So how can you make your website more person-like? And then also just how can you uh, exploit whatever advantages there are in, in creating um, those kind of hard, uh, something that resonates with those hardwired pattern uh, receptor type things. The end. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I thought, we, I thought we were going to continue there, but yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. I don't know. That one fell on a, on its face a little bit, but I think there's something to it. Yeah. I, I am forced to agree, sir. Hmm. You're like against your will. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's a turn of phrase that I really like. Being forced to do something? Uh, yeah, not necessarily the being forced, but uh, I, th- I think of it more as, uh, you know, sort of like begrudgingly agreeing with someone that you, uh, you know, don't want to agree with. Less like begrudgingly acknowledging a fact. Just, just because you don't want to learn? <laughs> you could put it that way. Like, all right, fine. I guess I'll, rec- I'll, I'll admit that that is a thing. Uh, no, more more like uh, you know, begrudgingly uh, admitting that the your wife is right or something like that, right? Ah, forced to agree. Yeah, there you go. I'm glad. I'm glad you think of me in that way. <laughs> You're very domestic. <laughs> Tip number five. <laughs> number five. Tip number five. Uh, so I'm going with one of the classics. It's uh, it shows up all over the place, uh, and it is anchoring. Ooh, good one. Yeah, so this is basically the tendency to rely way too much on on the first piece of information offered about something, and it it anchors whatever the discussion or experience is uh, around that initial thing. So I think the most common example of anchoring that you see is is usually with uh, dollars or money or numbers. Yep. Uh, so in a in a pricing discussion or in a uh, like a salary negotiation, uh, this is one of those interesting cognitive biases that actually works uh, even if you know that you're being anchored. It's still effective, you know. So if I was gonna like hire you to design an interface and I started the bidding at five dollars mm-hmm. uh, even though that may be a ridiculous sum uh, you're still anchored by it like it still has an effect on on where the discussion will go um, right so and it doesn't just affect numbers uh, another place I've seen this really 
really matter is like in a meeting setting, uh, if, especially if you're trying to evaluate uh, either like which direction to go or evaluate like if something you know is going to be adopted or not, usually the first person to talk like really sets the tone. Yeah. Um, and that, that's multiplied many times over if the first person to talk about the thing uh, you know carries authority with the group. So if you know if you were like talking about you know a user test that you just did and whether or not you know something went well and if, if somebody liked a feature or not, uh, and somebody starts off the discussion on a really negative note, it's highly likely that even some people that had positive things to say will sort of revise what they were going to say and cast it in a different light or highlight something different. Uh, so you're you're like priming them. Yep. Yeah, you anchor the discussion around something. So I think it's pretty important in those scenarios to, uh, I don't know, have more of like an open sort of brainstorming type of environment or discussion where you try to throw out uh, a whole lot of things to to get around this a little bit. Yeah. Did you ever hear the story of the, the uh, judges where, when they were like rolling the dice? I suppose I haven't. So there's this thing where like these these really veteran judges, like just you know highly respected judges, were part of the study where they were asked to um, give like a ruling on the punishment for uh, people who had been caught shoplifting, mm-hmm. and and so like there's like I guess a range of you know what how many I don't know what months you get in jail or something like that, right? And all they asked was that before they came to their determination that they would roll, a, a, I guess, a pair oh, of dice. Right. Um, and so, and the dice were loaded so that every roll would be either a three or a nine, or at least more frequent. And right. just having the higher roll instead of the lower wound up having those being, like, way stiffer sentences. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard of similar experiences or experiments. Yeah. But that's just crazy to me, like where that's susceptible to it. Yeah, yeah, that like priming or anchoring it, it's really powerful. And like I said, it can work even if you know that's what's going on. Yeah, it also makes me a little concerned about the uh, the powers that be in the legal system. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I don't. I don't really. I don't know that the legal system is the place where I want to stake my fortunes. No, I try to stay out of it personally. I think I think that's the right move. Yeah, that's is that your weird know. tip of the week? <laughs> that's that's my emphatic tip of the week. <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, and yeah, I think the right move now. Yeah. Is tip number six. Tip number six. So this is an interesting one. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. Those those listening in your uh, cars or on your dog walk, maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. The uh, I believe. And again, I've got a lot of. I got some wacky names for these things. So or well, I mean, I have things with wacky names. I don't have like personal weird names for them. But this, I believe this <laughs> one is called the Zagarnik effect. Does that sound right? Are you familiar with this one? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard of this one. Yeah. So the the Zagarnik effect, and if, again, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, but the, it was uh, let's just call it the Z 
the Z effect was uh, there was a particular person, a psychologist, I believe, observing in a restaurant that waiters had this uncanny ability to remember orders like, you know, for a table of six and who didn't want uh, maple syrup on their whatever, whatever that might be. Probably not maple syrup because I think it was in in Russia. Yeah. Or Germany, something like that. Maybe they don't have maple. Well, I guess they don't have maple syrup there, right? I believe that the world economy is alive and well, and you you can probably get maple syrup in any of those countries. Well, but this was in in the twenties and thirties. Twenties and thirties. Yeah, I still feel like that maybe not in Russia that they were coming off a rough time, but yeah. Well, and then also it's like what was the the uh, the Tchaikovsky thing with the what do you call it the birch trees? Wasn't there like a dance of the birch trees or something? I'm thinking that know. they have ample I... ample ability to make some syrup. Well, but do they have maples? Are there Russian maples? I don't know, but I mean, you can. There's lots of things you can make syrup from, right? I mean, even in Louisiana, they don't usually. Uh, <laughs> in a very rural part of Louisiana, near to my uh, place of birth, uh, no one actually uses maple syrup of any kind. Uh, in fact, they use like clear bottles of uh, corn syrup, like just. You know, bottled, clear corn syrup, K-Row. Yeah. Well, like molasses? No, not like molasses. Uh, just like, it's really like a simple syrup. Like, uh, they just they just directly pour high fructose corn syrup on their on their stuff? Well, it's not high fructose corn syrup. It's just corn syrup. But yeah, it's, it's just corn syrup. It's uh, When I was first introduced to this, uh, it was a breakfast in uh, like a fishing... No, I don't know. I wouldn't even call it like it's not. It wasn't a lodge. It was. It was like a cot. And when I got up, uh, it was like, all right, pancakes. Who wants some syrup? I was like, oh, syrup, excellent. Yeah. And then they brought out this like clear bottle of, uh, and, and it looked like the bottles like that they sell corn syrup in. They look more like a soda bottle or something, you know, like a twenty ounce soda. And it, they they bring it out, and I'm like, what's what is this? This is just some clear nonsense. I, I thought you said syrup. It's like a, it's like the moonshine of of a <laughs> breakfast yeah. breakfast condiment. Uh, so that was interesting. I I can't remember. I was probably like nine years old or something. Wow, and it stuck with you. Yeah, corn syrup blew my mind. All right, so <laughs> that was important. Yeah, let's. So the the and again, I keep I keep cringing every time I pronounce this because I hope I'm doing it right. Zagarnik effect. Uh, basically, they were observing that the the waiters or the servers let's be let's be a little bit more open here uh, could remember the the complicated orders for uh, their tables, but if you ask them like five minutes later after after they'd already you know uh, delivered the food or whatever, what did everybody order they couldn't remember and so the 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 effect is that that typically people have a higher ability to 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 retain information um, while whatever their task is is in an unfinished state. Mm. So how do you use this in in design? I'm not so sure, but I do tend to think that there there is kind of a thing where like again, kind of going back to like the the endowed progress effect, where you're like. You're saying, hey, you're 60% of the way there. It's a little bit more top of mind. It's kind of like a little bit of a little bit of a splinter in in the old brain where it's like, oh yeah, I do I have to get that thing finished. And then when it's finished, it's like 
totally off your mind. So if you're really, once again, looking, trying to get people to complete a workflow or things like that, really making it uh, present that it is incomplete, I think will help keep, it'll just keep nagging at them. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I can see how you would, uh, like, I mean, so I mean, one design principle you can use is uh, to, to design around short-term memory being, I mean, it depends on who you ask, but, you know, say, say you go with 7 plus or minus 2, right? Right. Uh, Which is the, who, who was the, the coiner of that term? I can't remember. Oh, uh, man, I don't remember either. And I think it was, but, wasn't it five plus or minus two? See, this is this is why I, I think the numbers are, one one set of them is apocryphal, and I I don't even know which one anymore. It's just kind of a So, a so uh, our, our good friend Wikipedia says, the magical number seven plus or minus two, so I'm already wrong. Um, it was published I've by 1950. What, what's that? Yeah, I've heard five plus or minus two though. Like, yeah, it was published in 1956 by the cognitive psycho- cognitive. There's that word again. Cognitive psychologist okay. George A. Miller of Princeton University's Department of Psychology. Good on you, Mr. Miller. Yeah, it is often interpreted to argue that the number of objects an average human can hold in working memory is seven plus or minus two, which basically means somewhere between five and nine. Right, and it's re- frequently referred to as Miller's law. Um, so it sounds to me like you're saying you can sort of go above and beyond that if you can instill, uh, you know, an unfinished, uh, you know, feeling and need to, uh, to close this thing out for people. Well, I, so you know, that's... there's that where, where my mind was going too is like a lot of things with websites, like they, they take more than one session. So like if you're a server in this scenario, you walk up. Oh yes, what would you like? What would you like? What would you like? Okay, great. And then you walk to another table, right? And you have to remember what that earlier table wanted. So in the same way that if you right. go to a website and it's like an hey, open loop, yeah, hey, your your LinkedIn profile is eighty uh, percent of the way complete. Please add your X, Y, and Z. Maybe you don't even do it that time. But like I I can tell you right now, I'm almost positive I would know what LinkedIn would tell me that I should enter because I remembered seeing it however long ago, and it's just like it stuck with me. Hmm. So maybe there's something to it there that like if you're looking to get people to keep coming back to your site, having that element of, hey, you're not quite done, uh, you know, and don't forget that you're not done. Come back right. later and finish. Yeah. So basically, don't ever let anyone finish anything, but start them out halfway. Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> exactly. Endow them with progress and then just keep moving the goalposts. Yeah. Or, so, I mean, that's really, when you look at, like, you know, again, video game design, like, like my my, uh, my right. Candy Crush candy, episode. Candy Crush experience, yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, the level design is all about, all right, I just got to get over this hump. Uh-oh, wait a minute. It's like, um, what do you call it, false summits in, uh, in mountain climbing, yeah. where you're like, all right, there's the top. Oh, I got that's there, it. and now I'm not. But wait, yeah. there's the top. It's not that far away. Oh, no, that's not the top either. Same thing. Just keep letting people know. All right, your work here is never done. <laughs> yeah, leave off the never done part, though. I think it's it's best. Uh, you, unless, I guess you would say your corporate logo is just like Sisyphus. Your your work here is almost always 
Your your work yeah. wait your work here is always almost done. Exactly. Yes, I like that. All right. I don't even remember what tip we're on now. Uh, I think we're on seven now. So it's still you. Well, that we just finished yours, right? Yeah. The server. Well, because then we went yeah. to the plus or minus two. Oh, so that was your that you were you were contributing to mine. I was I was attempting uh, flailing about for a design application. Uh, and I latched on to something connected that I didn't even really like what I said. but I thought yeah. it was good. Okay. Well, I'm glad someone liked it. Yeah. And if those of you listening at home, if you liked it, tweet at Robert and let him know. Oh, yeah. Feeling, like give him a little pat on the back. Say, you know what? That seven, 7 plus or minus 2, that was A-OK with me. Tip number 7. So I'm going completely off the reservation here, and I, I hope you can bear with me. Uh, so this is the hot hand fallacy. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah, so this is mostly just because I really like it, and I have no idea how it applies to, uh, to product design necessarily. If you, can, if you can reach and make it happen, though, I'd love to hear it. Tell you what, uh, you, you fill, it's like, it's like, well, going back to ordering in a restaurant where it's like, oh, you, I'll, I'll just keep looking at the menu, you order, and by the time you're done, I'll have something. Right, I'll have, a, I'll have an answer, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is basically the belief that someone who has had success uh, with, a, with a random event has a greater chance of, of more success if they try again. Um, and this has been seen in gambling a lot, uh, and I think the most interesting place for me personally where it's, it was proven to be false is uh, basketball. So if, if anybody listening is a basketball fan, uh, you'll hear a lot of times that you know someone, someone's on fire or like this is a heat check or you know he's really feeling it, whatever. It's like throwing uh, but, a ball into the ocean. Yeah, yeah. It's just wet. The Splash yep. Brothers, all this stuff. <laughs> uh, so it's not a random event whether someone makes a shot or not necessarily, but the the pattern of whether they make a given shot or not is random. The distribution is random. Uh, so the concept of a hot hand is is entirely just fallacy. And I find this really funny because I know this. I've even I even read like the research paper like there was one at the the Sloan Sports right. Analytics Conference about this specifically, uh, and I w- just read it out of interest. Uh, but when I watch games, I still can feel like oh that guy's hot, get him the ball. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah it's funny. Well, and but and that there, legitimately there are times where like if if you know the the defender that's on them is is a right. poor match or something like that. Right, they're just overwhelmed. Yeah, like if someone's guarding LeBron James, just give him the ball. Give the guy who's guarding LeBron James the ball? No, no, give LeBron James the ball. Oh, so just regardless. Well, it's a poor match, right? Whether whether someone is or is not guarding LeBron James, then give him the ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, that's, that's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorites, too, and... Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where you kind of got the the quantitative and qualitative uh, side of it. Where quantitatively, people you know have researched it and say, let's say you've made four in a row. Will you know? Does your fifth shot come at a higher percentage than than your typical shooting percentage? 
And the answer is no. It typically comes in lower, actually. Right. Because then, like you said, heat checks. Then somebody's thinking, hey, I'm on fire. I'm going to, I'm just going to fling anything up because I feel like it's right. everything's going to go in. So you start being yeah. a little more reckless. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny though. Cause I saw, I saw a game and it, it's hard to like impose this on it. But I went, so when I was in college, uh, I went, I went to Georgia tech and at that particular time we were quite good at, at basketball. Uh, and there was one game where the, we uh, were in the top Ge- five. Georgia tech, what it killer bees, yellow jackets. Yellow Jackets. Yellow yeah. Jackets. Like, so, okay. uh, there's a particular game where we were playing North Carolina at home, and we are both in the top five, and we had a, a guy just start making, you know, crazy difficult three-point shots, and they had a guy, it was, our guy was BJ Elder, and theirs was Rashad McCants, and anyway, it really, like, you know, college basketball is not usually the greatest offense, but uh, these guys were just taking horrible shots, like, you know, the the three-point line's like 19 feet, and you want to get close to the line, obviously, because it gets worse further away. And it got to the point where they were getting double and triple teamed at like 25 feet, and they were just shooting anyway and making shot after shot. I think they went back and forth like five or six times. There was no offense run at all, just these guys shooting. And it's hard for me to, like, impose over that. Like, well, it was all just random. Yeah. Yep, I know. I know what you're saying. So how would that apply to web design? Is that's the that's what I've been tasked with? <laughs> yeah. What comes to my mind is is the is the idea of a flow state. And there is science behind being, you know, in the zone or being in a flow state that yep. I I think it's a little tricky in in a competitive sport like basketball because then you have adversaries who are attempting to prevent you and there are all kinds of you know, there's a it's a very dynamic situation with a lot of variables. But like if you, um, you know, like if you look at, well, speaking of anti-patterns, if, if, if I am to call them what they're generally referred to, I could go on and on about the user experience of casinos and gambling and slot machines and things like that. And fortunately, I don't have to because there's a wonderful video from the, oh, what's the name of the, the gel conference, I think it was called, where a woman did, uh, I guess it was like her college dissertation or something. She published this several hundred page book all on basically the UX design of of casinos and and you know gambling establishments and especially slot machines uh, and and how they're basically you know all the things that you think you're doing to improve an experience on behalf of the users are, are being done to exploit them and get them to act in a way that's not in accordance with their own interests necessarily. That's right. some scary stuff, but yeah. You know, you look at something, I think it's also, there's like a term called like the gambler's fallacy, where if you think, if like if you flip a coin and it comes up heads five times, you think, oh, well, like tails is due. Like this is, right. you know, it's got to be tails. There's got to be right. more, it's more likely than 50%, more than 50% likely that it's going to come up tails because it wouldn't be heads six times. That'd be crazy. Right, right. Well, and if you, like before you start, the odds that you get tails six times in a row is pretty low. Uh, but turns out once you get the five, uh, the probability is totally independent and it's the same as it always was. Or maybe you're dealing with a loaded coin. So maybe it's more likely that it'll keep happening. Yeah, it could be if, if we're playing with the coin. Right. So I guess that if you were looking to apply this, this, uh, cognitive bias in design, I think anytime that you can optimize for a flow state and either get people to be thinking, you know, 
I'm hot. Surely this is going to keep happening or this is happening too often. The, the opposite is due. I, I could see you tilting the scales there and affecting people's behavior. Uh, beyond that, I'm not, nothing really comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to tie back. It's just a fun one. Fun it is. And if anybody has any ideas on how to, um, what get, make the user feel like they're on fire NBA jam style, let us know. So where are we at? Number eight? Eight, eight is, eight is where we're at. Tip number eight. All right. All right. So this one, I'm, I've, I've already used endowed progress. I'm sticking, I'm sticking with the endowed word. With this one, it's the endowment effect. Oh. Oh. My st- did I finally, did I finally. You, finally, you, you sunk my battleship. My day, <laughs> my day has come. <laughs> Eat it, Graham. Uh, all right. So the endowment effect is basically kind of, well, let's see. It doesn't really, I'm not sure if it has anything specifically to do with the endowed progress effect. The endowment effect is what I like to think of it as the people are loss averse effect. So um, there was a study done where, like, I think it was like a class was given these like crappy things. Like half the class got a coffee cup and the other half half got a hat. Was it? Do you remember? No, I don't. I don't remember. Maybe it was a coffee cup and a pen or a bumper sticker. Just crap. But there's a thing where basically polyester t-shirts, m- mugs and t-shirts. Was that what it was? I was just making a joke about it's connecting back to the old episode. Oh, oh, the beefy tees with the with the pocket. Yeah, yeah. Oh, polyester t-shirts, totally different. That was in the the uh, customer retention podcast episode. Yeah, yeah. All right. So anyway, so so there was this class, and they got half got one thing, half got the other, and the, it's basically something where like objectively. If you were on the street, you'd say they were worth basically the same amount. But just by having the thing, people felt really like, no, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade my mug for a, a hat. Why would I ever do that? And the people were like, oh, I wouldn't trade my hat for a mug. Why would I ever do that? And it's because it was theirs and they didn't want to lose what they already had. And so how do you how do you take advantage of this bias? And again, all of this I say with, with, with like ultimately to make people better and have better experiences not to not to exploit people to their ruin or whatever but um one thing again from an onboarding perspective anytime that you can get people especially if you're asking for tricky things like sign up with your email address or especially enter your credit card stuff that's like a kind of a big ask um anytime that you can try to get them to accomplish something that they don't want to lose and then frame the request around hey, would you like to save this thing that you just made or got or whatever? All you have to do is this. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, yeah, I don't want to lose this thing. And so one really good example is, uh, what was the, what's the, uh, the AB, Optimizely. They have this thing where I don't even think you need to enter any information. They're just like, give us a yeah. URL and you go in and you can create your first AB test by using like their WYSIWYG, you know, uh, DOM editor, DOM, maybe I should... Uh, not get so techno nerd on that. What what would be? Uh, and maybe WYSIWYG. I should. It's a yeah. You can you can just magically make changes to your website with like a drag and drop type tool. Right. Yeah. So no coding needed. 
<laughs> I like how I described it as no coding needed, like because people are like, "Oh, that sounds great." In in coding terms, like you 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 don't okay. have to go in and, and no and, DOM required. Yeah. JavaScript knowledge need not apply. Right. So anyway, so it's it's like a a point and click editor to set up A/B tests. It's fantastic. But anyway, they have you go in and create your first A/B test, and only then, when it's like, "Hey, do you want this thing to actually go live?" It's like, "Hey, well, you don't want to lose your work, so you should create an account." Or, you know, at that point, they're also like, and in order to do that, you need to enter your credit card. Something like that. And I think that's fantastic. Another example that I uh, cite all the time is like e-commerce stores where they're, they're have I brought this up on, on this podcast already or no? Hey, we've definitely brought this. Yeah. This I'll say back. it again. Because look, I'm sure not everybody's going to be a completist going through all the back episodes. But like you're an e-commerce store and you've got, uh, what do you, you got, what, what do you call it? The, uh. Uh, the checkout process and it's like do you want to create an account or log in with your existing account or check out as a guest and then you go through like well of course guest I don't want to stop and create an account and then you wind up entering basically all the same information and at the end when you've already purchased your thing it says hey to make purchasing easy in the future so you don't have to re-enter this you we've created an account for you all you have to do is pick out a password and you're like well that sounds easy and you did like exactly the same amount of work in, in a slightly different order than the create account flow, but it just felt more natural and you didn't, and it was also framed in a way where it's like, you know, d- don't lose your work for the next time you come, save it, as opposed to would you like to create something that you don't have right now? Yeah. That so, sort of begs the question to me is like, why is there an option, why is there a flow option to go the create account route? I don't know. Yeah, because like it's all, like a, all, all roads lead to Rome kind of thing. Yeah, what? Maybe well, that that if might the friction's be lower on the guest side. Why why bother with the create account possibility? I'm gonna throw in a a, a bonus cognitive bias right now. I'm do I'm, it. I'm going there. Maybe it has to do with the decoy effect. Mm. So the decoy effect. Are you familiar with this one? Mm-hmm. So Percy. the decoy effect. Like, let's say you have two options for. Like, say you have two tiers for your product. There's like. Uh, uh, individual and team or something like that and they you know individual comes with features x y and z and it costs a low amount and then team comes with more features and it costs more if you really want to drive more people to sign up for the team one you could create a middle tier that has like barely more features than the individual one but costs as much or more as the team one because then people are like well obviously i'm not going to go with that i'm going to go with you know, the the one that looks like a bargain in comparison. Right. Yeah, like, so movie theaters use this. Uh, they have different sizes of, of beverages, say. Uh, and a lot of times they'll have, like, an extra large. And, you know, these days at movie theaters, even, like, a medium is usually pretty outrageous. Uh, and it, but, speaking, of, speaking of little linguistic things that drive me crazy, I hate it how medium is the smallest one. A lot of times, like it'll be like medium, large, and extra yeah. large. We're like, right. it literally can't be medium if it's not at least in <laughs> the middle small, of something. And it's not medium. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I agree. Like that's what the word means. But anyway, uh, but basically, they've just shown that having having like an outlandish one at the top end of the scale means more people get the large. Uh, so they they've added that. It's like. People would feel bad about getting the biggest one, but getting a huge one when there's one that's, you know, just 
monstrous, and even larger. Yeah. Uh, then they're like, oh, well, I'm not getting the biggest one. Right. Yep, exactly. So maybe to go back to your question, why, why even have the create account flow? Maybe it's like a decoy where it's just like... <laughs> No way! Right. I'm I'm, get, I'm pulling one. I'm pulling a fast right. one. I'm not doing yeah, that. I'm not wasting my time with that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, cool. So we're getting getting close to the end here. Tip number nine. Tip number nine. Uh, actually, I'm gonna dump. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a fast one. I'm gonna dump my main one, and I'm jumping to my favorite one here because we're we're running a little long. Uh, and this one this one's a lot of fun, and I think. There's actually some ways to apply it to product. So I saw this on on a list, uh, and it's called the IKEA effect. Ooh, yeah. Have, have you heard of this? I have. Okay. So it's essentially when when you place like a disproportionately high value on something that you partially create or assemble, uh, and some 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 interesting people. Uh, I think Dan. Uh, what what is it? Dan Ariely or Ariely? Yeah, something like uh, that. The nudge guy. Yeah. Right. The predictably irrational guy. I think. Yeah, I think he he wrote several books. Um, he was one of the guys on the study, but uh, it's essentially just you know if you get IKEA furniture and you put it together, even when the the quality of the overall thing that you end up with is pretty low, you tend to think of it as you know more valuable. Uh, similar to like the endowment effect of like I own this. Not only do I own this, but I made this. You know, I had a hand in building this. Uh, so you think of it as as higher quality and higher higher value than it really is. Right, and um, and that's kind of like a cognitive dissonance thing where, like, co- cognitive dissonance being if you like your brain's like uh, what would be a good example, like uh, rationalizing things that are inconsistent in your behavior. So like if you're smoking and being like, well, I know that it's bad for me, but I do it anyway. So maybe it's not that bad for me or maybe I'm cool or something like that. Or if you couldn't get something that you wanted, just convincing yourself that you didn't really want it, stuff like that. Right. And so I think that, the uh, you know, especially when it comes to like product design or user experience, when people... Uh, invest a lot of time in something they think that it has to be valuable because they think their time is valuable and they wouldn't be investing their time in something that wasn't valuable right so if you're still listening to this episode you think that this is valuable <laughs> Ooh, <was> self-burn <laughs> uh no I, and i i have to i have to clear up uh, there's a uh an omission or not an omission what is it called like a a correction when, when, like, in newspapers, they're like, uh, by the way, last week we said there was this thing, but that's not right. Yeah. What are those called? Anyway, Nudge. Nudge was, was written by Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein, and you were correct. Oh. Predictably irrational was uh, Dan, I guess, Ariely. Gotcha. Yeah. So my, I've, me, me. You've uh, got some other sort of popular books in that in that zone, so I wasn't sure about Nudge, but yeah. Nudge, nudge, I give a thumbs up to Nudge. I thought it was really good. Excellent. All right. So is that... Is uh, that... So, yeah, so I, I feel like the IKEA effect, you can actually tie to, tie to how, you, how you design products, and you can give people the chance to sort of, you know, in nominal or even token ways, uh, feel like they have 
you know, ownership of certain certain things or that they helped you, you know, create a report or create a, you know, this or that, and then and then they'll have, you know, a feeling of more value attached to those things. Yeah. There you go. I think that's that's one of my favorites too. Awesome. Is is IKEA one of your favorites? Um sure. <laughs> that felt like a no, but okay. <laughs> Uh, you know what they do have at Ikea that I really like? Uh, uh, meatballs? Uh, tip number 10. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Tip number 10. So many, so many to choose from, and yet I can only go with one. I'm gonna go with one that, remember before where it was like the, uh, I'm gonna throw it out there and then you'll figure out how to apply it to a design? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think we've done this a couple times, but I'm excited. Flea Flicker. We're going on this one again. Doing it again. All right, so I'll lay it. I will lay it at your feet and see what you do with it. What you will. Uh, so there's a, something called the Semmelweis reflex. Does this ring any bells? No, I'm I'm in the desert. Okay, so this one's interesting. And I and again, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. S e m m e l w e i s. I'm thinking it's one of those W's that's pronounced oh, like a V. All right, a German W. Yeah. So, Ignaz, oh boy, now, first name, it's giving me fits here, too. I-G-N-A-Z. Ignaz, Ignaz, Ignaz Semmelweis, I'm going to say that. All right, I'm in. So, this one speaks highly to my interest, because I'm a huge, uh, what do you call it, uh, Louis Pasteur fan. Big, 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 uh, big Pasteur head over here. And before Pasteur came along and did, like, the swan neck... Uh, uh, container uh, test where he proved that like uh, soup that wasn't exposed to air wouldn't wouldn't go bad and basically came up with germ theory and and the idea of hygiene and so on and so forth. A doctor by the by the name of Semmelweis in let's see I don't even know what year it was but so it must have been early 1800s I'm gonna say yeah yeah that's about right. Uh, there was this terrible problem where doctors basically didn't know that germs existed. And so doctors would be literally going from either out on the street where there's like raw sewage because people didn't know that was a problem. And then just walking in and like not even, I mean, forget about washing hands. That just wasn't done. They weren't even like changing clothes or whatever. Um, Or they would be going and like, you know, performing an autopsy on a cadaver and then just walk right over to the other room and deliver a baby. And so there was all of this problem where um, infants and their mothers were just dying it was it was like a risky thing to go deliver to to have a baby at that point you were exposing yourself to to tremendous risk and so this uh Semmelweis character decides to step up and be like hey guys uh maybe we should you know like wash our hands before we do this maybe something like that and he wound up being uh they rejected his his recommendation the the other doctors in i guess whatever the Whatever, what would you call it, like union or, or uh, association, uh, rejected his, not only his idea, they ran him out of town and, in, like, shame. They ran him out on a rail. <laughs> and and uh, he wound up, like, not even being able to continue practicing, I don't think. And uh, let's see, I'm trying to buzz through his Wikipedia just because I don't want to make any statistical... Uh, but, yeah, he had to, like, take refuge in Budapest, I'm pretty sure. And then I think he died, like... Uh, popper it was terrible terrible wow. thing but anyway it's terrible so that, it's a sad story yeah and, well, and it was like bias. 30 or 60 years before louis pasteur was like no remember that guy that everyone was a total tool to? that you guys killed yeah 
uh, it turns out that we've been killing a bunch of uh, mothers and helpless babies since then, uh, because he was right. <laughs> so, anyway, this took a dark turn. But the, 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 the cognitive bias that's called the Semmelweis reflex is for people to reject a helpful fact uh, like really, really strongly and to punish the person who is the, the, the discoverer of it. Interesting. So I, the, the, the best, the best stab that I could take, I just wanted to bring it up cause I think it's interesting. Um, and also, you know, there's a, a some uh, confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance. Doctors are like, well, I don't want to think that I'm killing babies. So I think you're wrong. Um, but then there's also a, an element where I think a lot of times if you do run a split test or if you are, you know, being scientific uh, with your website, uh, looking at behavior on your site, things like that, running out A-B tests, maybe something that comes up, you know, disagrees with what your preconception is. Think of old Ignaz Semmelweis next time and don't don't get too hot under the collar and, and blame the messenger. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see. So I thought of, I thought of a couple, I don't know that they're like directly applying this to product design, but I thought of a couple things that directions to go in here. Uh, so one is the, the guys who wrote, it's Dan and Chip Heath, uh, wrote Midistic and Switch. Yeah. Uh, so they have a concept that's like, look at the bright spots instead of, instead of sort of looking at what's broken, uh, like all these babies and mothers are dying, look at the cases where they don't die. Like maybe there's a doctor that just like really doesn't like having dirty hands and he happens to wash his hands. And then you would notice the Howard Hughes uh, of doctors. Right. So you would notice, uh, first you're just looking for the bright spots, right? So is there some doctor that has a statistically lower incidence of, uh, cases of these problems? And once you found that, you're like, well, what's going on? Um, and there's a, there's a bunch of places where this has been applied, but it's pretty handy. Uh, I think it really works for for products as well. Like sometimes we over over focus uh, on like where people are falling down, and we don't we don't spend enough time figuring out like where they're having breakout success or where they're uh, sort of succeeding in spite of things. Mm, interesting. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. So. The the next one is, so there's a cool book that I read last year. It's by, I believe the gentleman's name is Atul Gawanda. Uh, it's called The Checklist Manifesto. Oh. Um, and inside you, of that did book... Did you read that whole book? Uh, well, so I used to be a cover-to-cover completist kind of a guy. I'm not really anymore. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I feel like I read the whole book. Well... Maybe we can have this conversation another time, but I read the first 30 pages and I was like, this is, this is blowing my mind. This is amazing. And then I was like, I think I kind of get it. Like, I think, I think this could have been like, like a white paper. Shorter. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, and I, yeah, I definitely didn't read it carefully cover to cover. Like it literally should have just been a manifesto. Yeah, that's fair. But it's still a good book to expose yourself to. Sure. Well, and, and to my, it was a genuine question, like for someone who's at least read the bulk of it, you got a lot further than I did, I'm sure. Was there a lot of like new territory beyond just the concept that it explored or just, was it just like reinforcing point after reinforcing point? Uh, it was, I think if there's value in it, it's more that he gives a lot of like 
examples in like wildly different domains. Right. Construction um, so we've versus talked about aviation yeah, versus surgery. Right. So we've talked about doing that. I think even on the show in in like testimonials or something. Like you want to show that your product works in all these different contexts. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of the ways you can beat down people's uh, you know, purchasing apprehension is to show them you know, oh, it works for all these people, it must work for you. So what's the um, what, what what does that tie so, into the the to the uh, symbol vice yeah, thing? Yeah, we're lost. Yeah, so I felt like the doctors one did a little bit. So that because mostly because of the domain overlap. Um, so not only did the doctors want to not feel like they're killing people, but there's also like a big sort of process around what they're doing, too. And in the book, they, they talk about uh, reducing deaths in, in ICUs and how they had to... It, it was the same sort of thing. I mean, it wasn't hand-washing, but it was basically washing and cleaning and only using clean uh, tools and tubing and things for, for all the different things they do in the ICU. Um, and they knew that this was causing a huge number of deaths in the ICU, like more than more than the actual affliction that people had, like infections from using something that was dirty. It was killing more people than that. Uh, but it took, like, creating a checklist that involved not just the doctor, but also the nurses and the staff, uh, and in a way that sort of embraced their workflow before they were able to to solve this problem. So I guess I'm just saying... Maybe the the initial tip isn't enough. You got to kind of integrate it and and make the stakeholders happy as well. Interesting. So you have to, uh, uh, oh, I had a good word for it. Institutionalize it. Yeah, a little bit. So yeah, I I think sometimes you know you have like this this brilliant stroke of uh, or, or you know just you feel like you have this leap you can make for people, you know, like, oh, this is so much better. I have this way better. And and when you're coming from that perspective, maybe you don't, you don't like, present it the best way or you don't go out of your way to understand, like, how how practical it is to implement. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, you know, one thing I'm not aware of with the, in the Semmelweis story is, like, maybe he made a persuasive argument about it, but I think there, I mean, again, thinking about, like, how Louis Pasteur proved it, Several years later, right. had he had he been able to demonstrate the evidence that that part right. had, like I can't imagine imagine attitudes that changed that much over however many years. So also yeah. just having yes. the directly observable proof, I think, is is helpful as well. Yeah, but yeah, and, you know, we're straying, not like straying starting a bit from shouting matches in the hallway. What's that? I said not just starting shouting matches in the hallway. Yeah, just screaming in people's faces. <laughs> That's how I try to get my points across, usually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, who knows? Maybe the Semmelweis guy was just a jerk. Like, a, like a, just like, this is, is this the uh, availability heuristic? Like, well, looks like he might have just been a jerk, so he must have been a jerk. Yep. Finally, we have an excuse to bar him from our practice. Been trying yeah. to get rid of this guy for years. Ugh, done. Yep. Uh, See ya, Ignatz. Speaking of done. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, so that's it. That that was number ten. Yeah. So no, let's, I let's think, do I let, think let's do a quick whip around. All right. Number one was Curse of Knowledge. 
Number two, endowed progress. And well, let's do let's do like a one liner for him too. So curse of knowledge. What do you do with it? Okay. Uh, so number one, curse of knowledge. Uh, that is, you know, not not conveying complete context uh, to a beginner when you're uh, you know when you have specialized knowledge of something. Get it all out there. No. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I think the audio skipped. Yeah, get it all out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number two, endo- uh, endowed progress effect. Make people think they're closer to done than they are, or well, just frame it in a way that is is to their benefit. Number three, the availability heuristic. First thing to come to mind seems most important. Yes. Uh, number four, pareidolia. Patterns that speak to, like, the things that are hardwired, like recognizing faces and human stuff, can speak to people on a level that they don't even realize. Subconscious Mm -hmm. design, if you will. Yes. Number five, uh, anchoring. So the first piece of information tends to anchor the the discussion around something. Number six, Zagarnik effect. That one, I don't... Well, oh yeah, that was the uh, people remember. <laughs> it don't remember, so we'll just keep going. No, uh, number six, Zagarnik effect. That is when people tend to, speaking of which, remember things uh, when they're incomplete. Right. The list isn't finished. You have to remember. <laughs> uh, so number seven is the hot hand fallacy. So the belief that someone who's seen success with a random event is likely to continue to see success. And conversely... That uh, just because something has been happening doesn't mean the opposite is due. Right. Yeah. Um, Eight, endowment effect, which is basically to say that people place uh, value on things that they already possess and that people are typically loss-averse. And that one had the bonus bias uh, called the decoy effect, where if you put something uh, kind of like internal anchoring, I guess you could say, where if you throw something into the mix, you can make something... um, perceived to be even more valuable in comparison right and number nine was the ikea effect so you place a disproportionately high value on things that you partially create or assemble yep and number 10 the semmelweis reflex don't shoot the messenger when they're dropping truth bombs that don't necessarily line up with what you're used to and or don't be a don't be a jerk Uh, yeah, I think that's a good one. Don't yep. kill people that accuse doctors of killing people. Jerks jerks get sent to Budapest. <laughs> and die poppers. Yep. Uh, that yeah. that might not be factually correct, but <laughs> something like... Things, <laughs> things went sideways for old Semmelweis. And allegedly die poppers. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, that covers everything. I literally everything. I agree. Yeah, this was a long one. I'm going to see if I can trim it down. Oh, I've got one more funny story, though. So back okay. in the day, like if you're the radio, like if you wanted to be on, the, have your song played on the radio, it, there was like this hard rule back in like the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, who's that guy? Like the Dick Clark days or who was the mm-hmm. payola guy? Casey Kasem? Is Something like on, that. On, yeah. So like, the, yeah. yeah. And so like uh, that sort of you know, um, that era of radio, like they're like, we will not play anything that's over three minutes long. And so people who recorded a song that happened to be over three minutes would write the, like the time code is like two minutes and 72 seconds or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to see 
ex- once again, ex- with the with the psychological thing, the difference between a 59-minute podcast episode and a one-hour and two-one, there's a world of difference, friends. So I'm going to see if I can boil this thing down to, to 59 minutes. But um, I think uh, in that spirit, I'm ready to sign off. Robert, of course, as always, I do want to give you the floor, just in case you have any closing statements. <laughs> well, uh, you may- <laughs>